Well, hey, everyone, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And wow, today our guest for today's show, Peter Haas. Peter is author, leader, pastor of Substance Church in Minnesota. He also serves on the lead team of uh, ARC. So we're excited to be able to have a conversation today. Yeah, Thank honored you. to be here. Thank you, guys. It is a privilege. Such a blessing. And you know, I want to I want to open up our conversation by discussing uh, your story um, and, and and how you've you've gotten to where you are now. You actually came to know the Lord while you were a DJ yeah. at a at a nightclub, <laughs> yep. which is amazing to yep. me. Some people give their lives to Christ in churches, <laughs> yes. and others of us are just so weird. Oh <laughs> no, this is great! So tell us about that time in your life and how how your calling you know completely transformed everything. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't really grow up. In church, in okay. fact, you know, my my dad was a a doctor and very much kind of a skeptic, mm. and so like I I didn't really understand anything about church. But I had a Christian friend that was always trying to lead me to Christ, and I always thought that's kind of weird, you know, mm. like no thanks. And yeah. yet, you know how it is life life is designed to lead to yeah. God. Eventually, you're going to have enough pain, yep, mm-hmm. yep, and exactly. enough difficulty, yep. and you're going to ask deeper questions. And I knew I knew the whole universe could not have spun. Spontaneously arrived out of nothing, right. even as a non-Christian. That just seemed implausible, right. and it just organized itself. So I knew, in fact, actually, I asked my girlfriend, we were looking at the stars one night, and I was like, I'm like, man, there's just no way with this spontaneously arrived out of nothing. And right. here we are, and there's snowflakes and Playstations, <laughs> and you know, like, it just, it didn't make, and, and I'm like, and she knew I was searching, and she goes, well, have you ever just asked God to reveal himself to you? And I'm wow. like, I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I'm like, nah, like a genie. Not, like, yeah. like, I'm not open, right? And then, and then, um, you know, again, tragedy struck. Um, my girlfriend found her father after he had committed suicide, and wow. it was just a, it was really a terrible, terrible huh. thing for her to go through that. And I saw how painful it was. And then that same week, my friend died in a car accident, tragically, and you just, I started asking deeper questions. What's the meaning of life? And I I literally was working as an electronic dance music turntablist. So I was a music producer, but then um, I would work at these clubs uh, on the weekend. And and, um, I was just at the club depressed out of my mind thinking, I hate life. Like, I don't, I don't get it at all. And in my mind, I thought, you know what? Ask God to reveal himself to you. And so I, I literally prayed in the nightclub, God, if you are real, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion. Just make wow. it clear. Just give me a sign, lightning bolts across the sky, sure. Islam, Buddhism, none of the above. Yeah. Just make right. it clear, yeah. right? Yeah. And I snapped out of this prayer and I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I must really be depressed. I'm praying. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, my next thought was, I just need a smoke break. <laughs> yes. And so then I, I handed off the turntables to my assistant, walked down from the second story of the club, crossed the dance floor. I was leaving the club. And a guy grabbed me by the arm and said, dude, I know this is, he basically said, dude, I know this is weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. Wow. Like 30 seconds after I prayed this prayer. In the the club. In the the club. club. (laughs) Yes. And in my mind, I I was kind of freaking out like, oh no, Jesus showed up at my (laughs) nightclub and now I have to do whatever the guy says. I was scared. I mean, I literally had I mean, like a like a horror movie. I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was sweating. Yeah. 
And I, I grabbed him and I'm like, what did you say? And he mm-hmm. repeated it again, except a little more awkwardly. And then I'm like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And what was funny was, is I think he, in his mind, he was thinking I was angry. Yeah. Like, sure, sure, but, yeah. but in reality, I was scared because I'd never experienced a prayer answered like that fast, mm-hmm. that quickly. And I, I'm like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he kind of fumbled like, uh, uh. Uh, pray, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. and he led me to Christ right there in the club. And I literally went to church with that guy the next day. Wow. And that was it. Wow. Huh. Like, I, it's, it, which was the weirdest entrance yeah. into Christianity. But because I didn't grow up in, in church, I had endless questions mm-hmm. right. for him about church. Why do churches put carpet on their right, stages? Why, yeah. why do churches have, <laughs> why do they only use white lights? Why do they, yeah, it, you know, why do people lift their hands? Why do yeah. people, you know, like, like mm-hmm. infinite curiosity. But so when I became a pastor, it kind of almost became this obsession of, uh, I know how confusing it is walking into church culture, and Christians are not even aware of church culture right. anymore mm-hmm. because right. you, you just adapt to it. It's mm-hmm. it's normal for us to do X, Y, and Z, but you know, there's people out there who honestly don't understand anything, mm-hmm. and so that's why when we planted our church, we we thought let's let's plant a church with a little bit of a weird name mm-hmm. and uh, that reaches unchurched people, and let's just try to think about it through their lens, and so yeah. we always tell our people, you'll never understand why we do what we do on a Sunday morning unless you regularly invite your unchurched neighbor, because mm-hmm. you just won't see things the same way. Like when you invite your unchurched neighbor to church, the lyrics of the song all of a sudden become, I mean, you think right, about they it. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, all the cliches, right. they suddenly matter. You feel yeah. like you have to contextualize yes. it. And so our goal is if we can contextualize more and more and more and more of it before they even step foot in the church, then, you know, we're just decreasing that culture barrier. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, we're not watering down the truth. We're just crossing right. the culture gap. Right. So, so good. I mean, walk us through that jump, though, from accepting the Lord in your life into realizing, okay, I'm called to full-time ministry to be a pastor. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, we're well, go, what was, I got kind of suckered into ministry early because um, my story was so dramatic, obviously. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a Saul to Paul kind of conversion. Right. Almost within weeks of me going to churches, yes. I would walk into a church and people would be like, oh, you're that DJ that got saved. You're like, <laughs> you're like the... Here, can you share your testimony? Right. And it was almost like I got dragged onto platforms. Wow. Like from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'd be like, uh, 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 I don't know any Bible verses. Yeah. And they'd yeah. be like, you don't need any. I'll share the Bible verses. You share the testimony. Yeah. And then it was almost like I got suckered into being a youth evangelist. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> almost Absolutely. out of the yeah. gate. Right, right, right. For sure. And EDM, I, like you probably, speak the, yeah. probably dysfunctionally. Yeah. But I mean, Believe it or not, I became a youth pastor probably only a couple of years later, and a senior pastor only a year or two after that. Wow. So, in some ways, I was kind of like, I mean, I fell down the slippery creek bank into full-time ministry very quickly, probably dysfunctionally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fast. Well, what would you say were in that first time, you know, you're... you're you're encountering the faith for the, for the first time. You're talking about like, okay, these things don't make sense. Then you step into full-time ministry. What are like, if there was a couple things that you're like, okay, right off the bat, this didn't make sense, this didn't make sense, this didn't make sense in how we do church ministry? Oh, man. Uh, there was a lot of it, but I, I didn't question it skeptically because in my mind, I, I had kind of resolved in my head, 
I'm so screwed up. Who am I to critique Christians? Sure, right. sure. If Jesus was willing to come to my nightclub, so to speak, mm-hmm. answer my prayer, then I owe it to him to indulge the strangeness of the church. Yeah. And so I didn't question it up front. Mm-hmm. I ingested it and processed it. It wasn't until I became a lead pastor and I started asking the question, why why do we do church like this? Right. Why do we do why do we do offerings where we do them? Yeah. Why do we do these types of Christmas things? Why do we And I started actually and then when I finally had permission to start changing it Obviously, I would get persecuted from our church members because I, you know, people would be like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Like you would have, like our church, that the first church that I took over, it was almost a little hyper charismatic. They did probably nine songs a Sunday, right? I mean, it was a long worship (laughs) set. So, like by the time I'm the lead pastor, and I'm like, I wouldn't invite my friends here. (laughs) I'm exhausted by the time I even get up to preach. You know, so many worship songs. Well, when I changed the worship set from nine songs to seven, you would have thought I like. Converted yeah, to Islam, a, right. you know, right. yeah, it was yeah. just like, but you know, so then I, it was, it, it was, I had to understand. Oh, this is a political entity mm-hmm. that has traditions, mm. some of which have just been acquired over time, and I just, you know, I, I realized I have to be slow with even how I help people transition. And actually, that's part of the reason mm-hmm. why I planted is I realized that the church that I had taken over it had. You know, uh, it had 80 acres or 75 acres paid off, but I, I, I'm too progressive for the church, which is why I plant. I mm-hmm. planted um, 17 years ago uh, our church so that I could kind of build it from scratch. But by that point, it was because I didn't want to contend with right. with with people spiritualizing the church service. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people. Um, would say, oh, I, I see you're not a biblical church because you don't do expository preaching. Oh, okay. Or I see you're not... Everybody has their thing where if you don't do 30 minutes of altar ministry, yeah. 30 minutes of or mm-hmm. if, if yeah. social justice conversation, if you don't... You know, everybody has these like yeah. litmus tests for what they see as a, a true biblical church. And, and again, I, we all have preferences, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But... Um, we spiritualize those preferences where we start saying, oh, that's a biblical church. And yeah. um, so those are the things that I've, I've always tried to steer clear of. But our church now has so many unchurched people that we don't really have to deal with. Right. Um, I call them religiously transmitted diseases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so good. You know, because we don't get, <laughs> love that. We don't get transfer growth. Yes. Right. Most of these people are kind of like me. They're they're just kind of accepting a new reality as right. it's presented to them, and hopefully, we're not starting our own weird traditions, which we are. Yeah, but right. you know, yeah. Oh man, I I would have loved to. Fascinating to be a part of your church as you begin to lead, and and that's a question I want to ask about stewardship of your transformation. Yeah. So. Man, now you are you are being transformed, and God is changing the trajectory of your life, and and placing really this calling upon mm-hmm. you. So, how did you approach that? And and the word stewardship, I, I don't yeah. know what came yeah. into your yeah. mind, and and but but what did you begin to do so that you could bring your best self now to this yes. transformational moment? Totally, totally. I, let me set it up with a simple story. A while ago, I heard a, a of a guy who was an art collector, and he would grab, he would just buy like little art, religious art, 
yeah. that he would just get at garage sales and things like that. And it wasn't an impressive collection, but he had this paperweight that somebody gave him. And um, he happened to host a party at his house. And one of his guests at this party happened to be the curator of like the one of the big mm-hmm. art institutes in New York. And this guy came to the house and he was showing off his unimpressive collection of really lame art to this curator who's around, <laughs> you know, billion dollar Monet's and yeah, Picasso's. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this curator looks at the paperweight on his coffee table and says, what's this? This is really interesting. And he's like, oh, that old thing? Yeah, a priest bought it at a garage sale, gave it to me, thought I might like it, and I use it as a paperweight. And the guy was like, I, I think this is a little older than you think it is. And he goes, would you mind if I took it into the lab at yeah. my art? Um, laboratory and just had my guys look at it and he's like no I don't care take it <laughs> the guy takes it in and it turned out to be a work of art from uh, the guy mentored by Donatello so this wow. was like and, and it ended up being a priceless lost artifact Man. that was worth tens of millions of dollars wow. and I kept thinking about the odds of this guy collecting it and inviting that curator over to his house. Now, if it had not been for that curator, this guy would still be using it as a paperweight. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that everybody has gifts in their lives that they think are paperweights. Wow. That are actually priceless works of art. And then there's other things in our lives that we think are impressive, but are actually pieces of junk, right? And I think every leader out there has a certain set of skills but you're discerning what's really of value. And I, I, I always say you got to get around curators who can really help you figure out what is of value and what is not. a yeah. distraction. Yeah. And so I, what I did early on was I found a leader who's living out my dreams and I just made the decision to earn the right to be around them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm always telling um, young leaders, what are your dreams? Who's living out your dreams? And what are you doing to earn the right to be around those leaders? Mm-hmm. And that if you can identify the answer to those three questions, and the third one is a little counterintuitive because it's earn the right to be around those leaders. I'm like, most mentors who are, who are great mentors are too busy to mentor. And so you got to go make it easy for them getting around them. And if that means, so like I have like a mentoring budget, I'll fly to get mentored by people. And if that's what it takes for me to get mentored, then, but I got to get around a curator Mm -hmm. who can say, okay, Peter, here's even a better way to lead your church than you currently do it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so if I have to fly to a John Maxwell event to hang out with John Maxwell, if I have to, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to do whatever. Shout out to John Maxwell. We heard you listen to this podcast. We just want to (laughs) point to you right here if you're listening to it. We love you, John. Please love us, Matt. We love you. No, but but for real though, I, I, and so I went and I found a really dynamic church and I just planted myself in it. Mm. For it, and it left myself planted there for a painfully yeah. long time until those leaders can sculpt me yeah. and yeah. curate me. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, re, honestly, call out the, the invaluable treasure in my life. And I think a lot of people, they leave before the curator has time to be honest with yeah. them. No, that's powerful, and that and that's a value actually that we have here um, at SCU. You know, we're we're always talking about how do we build a map to a place we've never been before. Yes, and 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 that is basically 
finding someone who's there yep. and and taking the opportunity to get into the presence of that person that is at the place you want to be mm-hmm. and then begin to learn and to take it in, to soak in. And, and, and that just begins that process of helping you build that map mm-hmm. to get to that place that, that you know you need to be yep. and, and grow. So that's so important. I want to, um, you know, we've faced a, a major pandemic over the last couple of years, and there's no doubt that the pandemic is really changing how churches do life, yeah. do ministry. Yep. But I can imagine having a church in Minnesota during this past year that has had unique challenges with a oh. lot of different issues that wow, it yeah. has been faced. So how have you and your team led, especially doing, uh, during these last couple of years? Oh, man. Well, I mean, just to give you a sense of context, so our downtown campus is a 130-year-old building built by Civil War contemporaries. Wow. And it was only six blocks north of where George Floyd died. Mm. And um, you have to understand it. I mean, it was on our doorstep. Mm. Like it, the the events that transpired. I mean, the, I mean, we had people around our building even having to protect it in the midst of it. But it also became ground zero to some of the greatest outreach in our church's sure. history. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. gave away you know, like 8 million pounds of food this last year from that location. And, um, you know, but we we had to be intentional about, hey, um, right now is not the time to make a point. It's the time to make a difference. Sure. Yeah, that's good. And every single time our church members, because we were getting it from both sides, you have the extreme 20 percenters on both sides. If you don't, mm-hmm. if you know, uh, from this angle, if you don't take a stand and then the other mm-hmm. side saying, if you don't take a stand and say mm-hmm. these things. Right. And I'm like, you know what? Um, let's not make a point. Let's make a difference. Yeah. This is like, at some point we have to, to engage our culture yeah. differently. And I'm like, yep. you need to live in the middle yep. and, and just sacrifice for people because at the end of the day people don't care how much you know until they know how much yeah, you yeah. care mm-hmm. as the old saying goes and so we we just had to um love with action instead of words and so we we just turned our entire church into like outreach church this last mm. year um our, our church has always been traditionally good at small groups as as great as our church services might be and as flashy as they might be. Um, we're a church where we've always said church doesn't start until the service is over. We're a small group church. Mm-hmm. And so for us to pivot to um, um, Zoom home groups, and, and we, we've always engaged our people that way. And so to be honest, that, that wasn't even the hardest part. It, the hardest part was um, watching all churches nationally right. go through hardship. In some ways, our, I knew our church was going to actually thrive in the middle of it. But um, for me, it was watching all these pastors go into despair and wow. all these pastors who had kind of built maybe their churches with wrong motives and you know built them for numbers or built them for all these things that maybe at the end of the day aren't the main thing. Right, right. And in some ways, I, I almost feel like God used it as like a healthy pruning to make sure all of us as leaders are in it for the right yeah. reasons, wow. no, you know, yeah. to love people. Because yeah. let's be honest, loving people is messy. Ideologically yeah. imparting worldview, yeah. it's messy. Yeah. And this last two years, 
I mean, it was messy. It was right. a hard time right. to be a leader. And I think there's a, so in some ways I'm, I'm actually kind of, it's actually a great time to learn leadership yeah. because it's, you know, it's not easy and that's, that's good. Well, and I love about it is you talked, you talked a little bit ago and even before we were talking about how much like you wanted to plant something different, right? There's yeah. things you wanted to change. You wanted to see different. How much were those things that you saw different? How did, how much did they pay off when these changes come? I mean, you oh, talked about small group as man. one key, but what are some of the yeah. other things you guys did that really, well, you saw it? This is, this will be kind of counterintuitive. So, mm. cause I, I, being a music producer, the moment I saw, I went to a really dynamic worship leading church that had a lot of, you know, well-known worship leaders. And yeah. I, I, I immediately kind of nerded out on the music producing yeah. and and the LED walls and yeah, the, yeah. you know the flash, right? Yep. Well, um, you know, I'm in I'm in these churches that are some of the best in the world at compelling services, tear-jerking mm. sermons. But then my my mentor had a moral failure, and I remember thinking, how could they be in the middle of the greatest church service on planet Earth and still, still yeah. and still do this? And I it actually caused me to search my soul because at the time it wasn't even so much that I felt betrayed by my mentor. Actually, I felt convicted because there were undealt with issues in my own life. Mm. And I, I came to James 5:16, confess your sin to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Yeah. Wow. Biblical healing is preceded by confession of sin, not by attendance of church services. Oh, wow. And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive for a guy who is trained to put on the greatest church service ever, but from that point on, I was like, you know what? If I can just get my church to funnel them into relationships and intimacy where they could confess their deepest, darkest secret, then I know that I'm going to start succeeding as a pastor and bringing about biblical healing. And so that became my obsession is how do I use church services to funnel people into organic fellowship? And, and I found a study a while ago that, that showed three of the top predictors of spiritual growth are how many friends you have, Christian mm. friends you have at any given moment. People that have four to seven friends are likely to serve Christ over the long haul. People with less than four to seven friends at any given moment have high risk of walking away from Christ. Um, ownership in a weekly ministry is the second biggest predictor. Yeah. People that have a weekly ministry in a local church rate themselves seven times happier mm -hmm. than people who do not. Mm, wow. And then the third um, biggest predictor is exposure to a leader who is always inviting them. In other words, most discipleship is not taught we're invited into maturity. Most people wow. don't jump into deeper maturity on their own. They're invited. I didn't fast on my own. I heard like a dozen sermons mm -hmm. on fasting. Did I ever do it? Of course not. Because yeah. yeah. I like food, right? right. <laughs> um, I, I didn't. Did I, same with generosity. I yeah. needed to be invited into it. And so mm -hmm. a church culture. So like we built our church on those values of we want to make it impossible to attend our services for mm -hmm. longer than three months without finding four to seven friends. Wow. A ministry and exposure to a leader who invites them into deeper levels of maturity. Mm -hmm. And so when the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. we were already kind of engaging our people through organic church, not through church services. So when you shut down the church service, you our see, church was right. still alive yes. because yeah, it was good. all small groups. Everybody yeah. had their friends, their, yep. their, their ownership, their ministry had to pivot to help us do small groups across mm -hmm. the city, outreach across the city. But that was, that was a small transition for us. 
So mm-hmm. in some ways, it was the churches where all they are is a church service. Now, that was traumatic. And yeah. so in some ways, right. it was actually, we had to pivot to helping other churches rediscover organic church again. What did that look like? What were some of the things you guys you guys did in that? Um, well, first off, it was like, okay, it was helping churches learn how to do uh, like Zoom oriented small groups. And so like, for example, we basically taught, like helped churches across the United States. We, we, right when the pandemic hit, we filmed like um, 17 different videos to help Mm -hmm. pastors. First off, learn how to stream, um, learn how to turn everyone into um, a Facebook missionary, Instagram missionary, Snapchat missionary, wow. Twitter, TikTok yeah. missionary. Here's how each of those, those uh, like we talk about disciples of all mm-hmm. nations. Well, there's a nationality called Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's now a new pl- or planet. I call it like mm-hmm. planet Twitter, planet yeah. TikTok. Yeah. There's people that live on that planet and we have to go engage them. And yeah. that means taking content. Mm-hmm. How do you take content that reaches that people group? Right. And so it was almost like, how do we rethink everything that we mm-hmm. do into each of these people group? Let me teach you how to be a missionary. Mm. Yeah. So here's how you reach people on Facebook with our church services, streaming our services. Here's how you engage visitors in the chat room. Here's yeah. how you, those types of things. So it was, it was more yeah, like how to, how to rethink church. Yeah. This is the new church foyer. How do you do it? Mm-hmm. And so uh, just teaching churches how to do that. There were a lot of churches that were just not technologically ready, which yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, I think God is using the pandemic to get us out there again. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel like the changes are going to stay this way? Well, there is a lot of churches that are like, they're just wanting to go back to church service-driven Christianity. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, and I can see a lot of pastors doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, like for us, we're kind of like, no, from the pandemic on, we are no longer a physical church with a digital presence. We are a digital church with physical locations. Wow. How do we think differently like that? Like, how do you think yeah. Yeah. about sermons differently? How do you think about packaging content differently? Yeah. All of that. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. And part of that is honestly, you're going to have to. You're gonna to have to get some of those natives, right, of those planets, and unleash them and say, and go to them. Don't. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so telling you. Like I, well, I, I think I actually think social media ministry is is the new. It's kind of like in right. you know the '90s. It was all about you know youth pastors and the right. 2000s yeah. it was about worship pastors and campus pastors and mm-hmm. you know then media and then I, social media now it, it's gonna it's gonna keep shifting i mean we're gonna yeah. need like i keep thinking we're gonna need social media staff for i mean like right now like video editing teaching pastors is kind of like right. my biggest obsession is making sure everyone on our staff knows basic video editing yep. and good. things like wow. that. Cause you just, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how you can pastor people without understanding. Without that, yeah. Right. If you're no, not, so if you're good. not willing to record some stuff, pop it on Instagram, pop it on Facebook. I mean, even, even low quality stuff, but still stuff. Yeah, you well, got to know how to that rhythm. The reason why I think the church lost a lot this last, lost a lot of ground this last year is because CNN and Fox are discipling our people better than better the than, church yeah. is. Right. And so as a result, we're just, we're losing ground to these semi-Christian worldviews on in mm. both that are packaged through these yep. political yes. filters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we wonder why we have hardship. Well, yeah. I think it's because we as the church have not engaged 
yeah. culture yeah. well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so huge. good. As we talk about you know leadership and, and growing and developing in, in leadership, if we dig into personality types, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's all kinds of personality tests, things like that, the Enneagram, you yep. know, all of that. You talk you talk about in your books mm-hmm. that you you write, and you're a, a, an amazing writer um, uh, about how much you um, are an introvert. Mm. And you wouldn't get yeah. that in our yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're listening into this podcast, you think, right. well, an introvert. There's no way he's an introvert. Come on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, right. I, I often hear, you know, people say that that introversion um, is a liability. Mm. And, and especially, um, you know, in, in the church. And when presenting things in the public eye, how, how have you actually used that as a strength in your yes. leadership? I'll tell you what, Susan Cain's book, Quiet, Mm -hmm. um, changed my life. So Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ, uh, Enneagram, I'm a five wing four. And um, uh, I've always been more of a thinker, producer, very intentional. And I always found that was a liability as a senior pastor because, like senior pastors, they have to be like handshaking politicians in the foyer, right? And I, I and for for years, I always thought of it as a liability. Um, when I read that book, though, I, I realized, oh, no, it it actually. I have to think about what what do I have the ability to do that other lead pastors don't have. I have the ability to read way more nerdy books than the average lead pastor. <laughs> I have the ability to video edit and be very intentional about church strategy. Hence, I write books on church governance yeah. theory yeah. Yes. or church yep. books on all sorts of stuff. Or, um, you know, so I, I can focus at my computer longer so I can write pithier messages that are actually better for social media. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. So, uh, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I. I am not as good at working the foyer, and I have to admit that. But actually, I'm not going to win by being the handshaking pastor. I'm going to win by using Mm. my strengths, not my weaknesses. And, you know, ultimately, don't get me wrong. I never use your personality as an excuse. Okay, So I don't ever say, oh, I'm an introvert. It exhausts me to work a foyer, so I'm not going to do it. I have to do the work of the ministry. I have Mm -hmm. to be relational. I have to get out there. I have to learn how to turn it off and overcome it, mm-hmm. but I also have to acknowledge it. And so really, if any, I would say introversion is actually the ability to concentrate for long hours on tedious mm-hmm. processes. Yeah, right. That's great. And so ultimately, because of that, Mm-hmm. So I just uh, I was just uh, talking earlier about how I'm just I'm finishing a book called um, Church Bylaws and the Splits that Created Them, and wow. it's mm-hmm. all about how bylaw theory affects church health, and like and I'm writing it because nobody else is going to write this silly book, you know. Yeah. And part of it is because it's too boring of a topic for most people to even bite off. But like as an introvert, I'm like. Oh, bring on the nerd fest, yeah, man. Yeah, and if yeah. I can make it entertaining on top of that, you know, <laughs> yes. cause, you know, I, if I can still make it fun, mm-hmm. which is kind of the, the, the goal is to take all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I hire a lot of extroverted pastors. Yeah, oh, that's great. So uh, like wow. all of my campus pastors can work a, <laughs> a phone like nobody else. And, you know, so it allows me to be a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, Sure. Wizard yeah. of Oz-ish, yep. if yeah. I could say it that way, behind the curtain, yeah. um, writing the scripts and writing mm-hmm. the films and the yeah. and writing the sermons. But 
You know, I think everybody just has to, like I had to find some good lead pastors of some really dynamic churches who also were introverted. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, and I found like Greg Surratt is an introvert, Mm -hmm. Andy Stanley's an introvert, Um, you know, and I started realizing, oh, there's a lot of really good dynamic introverted pastors out there that I can learn from. And, and they, they also taught me how to, you know, surround myself with the type of leaders that can kind of balance it. And so, again, I, I, you can't use it as an excuse. you got to learn how to operate in both environments. But it's, right. it's like being left-handed versus right-handed. You can't live in denial of the fact mm-hmm. that you're left-handed in a right-handed world. And so, mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately, introversion has always been frowned upon in the American leadership culture. Yeah. Yeah, for the last fifty years, and but it's switching now. It's right. actually the pendulum is swinging, and I think it's gonna. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm not. I'm not better. I'm just different. Right. So it's right. celebrating that. Well, and I think there's a lot of you know if we a lot of 18 year olds listen to this. We a lot of our students on campus. They they. You you can take personality tests at any time, right? Learn who you are, but until you start having life experiences, you might not necessarily know what you mean. And I think yeah. we see that happen a lot in that first job, right? When they're first in the spot, it's like, okay, I thought I liked this or I signed up for this, but I don't even know, maybe I do like the job, but I like it for different reasons. What are some ways that people can practice self-discovery in these seasons? And so they can really kind of dial in on on how they're wired. Well, you know, it's kind of like personality tests as well as college or like Mm -hmm. right now you're learning. You don't want to learn information that becomes an excuse or a problem mm-hmm. at your first job. Okay, so like I like whenever I hear anybody in my church staff say, "Well, I'm an Enneagram blah," so yeah. I don't. Do, and I'm like, "Oh no, 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 no! You just <laughs> use it as an excuse, right? Don't ever use it as an yeah. excuse." Or, or I have a degree in this, right. therefore I know how to do youth ministry. And I'm oh, don't assume you know anything about youth ministry. Because actually, so we always we always have like a standard definition that I rip off from my friend Matt Keller, who's, mm-hmm. whose sons come here. You right, know, come right, on, shout out right. to Will. Yep. Um, yeah. But Matt would always say, teachability is the ability to relearn that which you already know. Wow. No, and so cool. constantly keeping humility, especially in that first job, um, learning about it before you immediately start sharing your opinions about it. And the same thing is true about yourself, your own sense of gifting. Mm-hmm. There were things in me I never, I mean, actually, you know, what's funny T- to come back to that curator story. Yeah. I thought I was a terrible speaker mm-hmm. and actually in college, I was, mm-hmm. I could not stand in front of a single person and speak worth dirt. I mean, at all. I was a musician. I could perform in front of any group, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't speak. And yet my mentor was like, dude, you got some insight. You Mm -hmm. need to share that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a behind the scenes guy. He's like, no, you need to share that. Mm -hmm. And they would constantly drag me up onto stage. I mean, I, honest to God, would not have become a speaker. I would have been like Moses. Oh, I can't, I can't speak. I'm, yeah, I'm underqualified. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you don't know you, and it take, you know how it is. Nope. You, every mm-hmm. year you get older and you discover yourself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell young leaders, don't assume you even know yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, so we always talk about internal call versus external call. Internal call, what you think you're called to do. External call, what other people say you are called to do. And so you're like, no, but I'm a great singer. Mm-hmm. Well, do other people think you're a great singer? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like th- this one guy was like, 
he preached for like an hour and a half every Sunday. And he's like, yeah, but I'm a great preacher. I have the gift of preaching. Okay, maybe you do, but do, do your people have the gift of listening, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you don't, don't confuse your internal call for your external call. And so I'm always telling young people, hey, make sure you allow time for your external call to develop. Don't assume that just because you think you're called to be a brilliant fill in the blank that, that God thinks that's how he created you. Got it. So you just got to wait until your external call confirms your internal call and then live there for 10 years. Yeah. And then you'll actually be hot on so, the trail of God's yeah. calling. Otherwise, you're, you're being premature in yeah. what you think you are. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And we, I mean, at, at SEU, I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. It's all about divine design. And... Mm building that discipline of self-awareness so man you can be in tune with the way god wired you yep. so that you can celebrate that in the way he's going to use you yeah and and that can change always yes. can change it will and if you're not in a position to be aware you're going to miss great opportunity it's and true that's, wow that's it's so true. powerful I it's love true that. well we're going to move into our fire round and Ooh. we always uh, in this fire round just ask a few quick questions and uh, we'll probably ask a little bit about everything we've mm -hmm. discussed uh, uh, this afternoon on this podcast i want to uh, and and again and you do so well at, at man answering uh, with your gut so we want that again on this so let's just get some practical, applicable pieces of, of advice for our listeners today. So, Michael, you fire away. Okay. Um, so, we talked, you, you touched on this for a second. We talked a lot about it on the front, but it's been kind of eating at me. Okay. Church yeah. bylaws. Yeah. You're studying them. You're writing them. You say there's there's one bylaw, one type of bylaw. What is it yeah. that matters? Well, what, nerd out with me for yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Well, th just absorb this stat. Mm-hmm. Very, very rarely does a church ever grow without its founding pastor intact. Mm. In fact, most churches go into a permanent plateau between year 17 and year 21. And after year 17, they grow by 1% a year and it's almost all transfer growth. Mm. So almost all growth after the founding pastor is transfer growth, not conversion growth. Wow. And so missiologists have, have been asking the question, why? Why is that? What is it that causes churches to grow with their founding pastors intact? And, and they found that year 17 and 21 is when founding pastors tend to resign. Mm. And then the church goes into a power vacuum. And then a new person wins the job by promising to maintain the most ministries, not by being a great leader. Wow. And so the, the, non, the, the exceptions to the rule, there's 1% of churches continue to grow after the founder is gone. And the two things that make the exception are the non-founder is there for six to 10 years. In other words, they learn all the political institutions and mm -hmm. then learn how to finally you know, change them. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second thing is they have bylaws that enable those changes. Mm. And so, you know, as churches age, they go from taking risks in the beginning because you have no assets to even yeah. protect. So you'll take all sorts of risks, mm -hmm. right? To the whole focus of the board is to protect the assets and the legacy. Right. Yeah. And so the church moves from man, movement, machinery, monument. Wow. And you can always tell what phase the church is in 
based on what they talk about. What, like when you ask the question, what are you mm-hmm. called to? Mm-hmm. Like if you go to the average church member, well, I'm called to, you know, like people saying, I'm called to Dr. Engel. And, and I actually, just mm-hmm. so you know, to compliment you, several of your staff, when I've talked to them, they, that's what they said. They just said, all I know is Dr. Engel is like the most gifted and consistent leader I've ever been able to work with. And that's a good sign because that, that again, man movement machine monument, mm-hmm. when everybody's saying, well, I'm called to the history of SEU or, you know, like, yeah. or I'm called wow. to the programs, yeah. Yeah. like I'm called, that's the machinery. Mm-hmm. And so you can always tell what phase in its life cycle based on that. And so a good, by, a good set of bylaws, decision-making mm-hmm. um, will kind of keep the fountain of youth cranking. Love it. Yeah. That's it's so huge. Good. Governance is huge, man. Governance is huge. There's no doubt about it. We could it. do a whole nother podcast oh, no. on governance, <laughs> oh, and we yeah. may need to because there's a lot I want to jump into that. That's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Sorry for, for sure. all the 18 year olds that don't care about that and they just <laughs> yeah, tuned no, out no, on no, the no, word no, governance, no, but no, we're no, having fun no, over here. No. I know John didn't tune out when he that's said governance. Right, that's for that's sure. That's good. Let me ask you this question What is the piece of advice you'd give to college students who right now in the midst of all that we're, we're going through are, are just kind of feeling lost and overwhelmed and aren't sure what next steps to take? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Well, we talked about internal call versus external call. Yep. If you have a sense of your internal call, like as a college student, I knew I was good at music, mm-hmm. at writing, and then I got a heart for ministry after I gave my life to Christ. Well, that was my internal call. Put yourself into a position where you can get an external call. Mm. In other words, don't just get stuck in your own little world and and wait for the world to come and mentor you. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is not something you are entitled to. It is something you have to earn. And so, like, I had a guy, people come up to me all the time and they're like, would you mentor me? Well, and I generally have to say, well, I I have barely time to mentor my staff, right? Well, one kid goes... He walked away discouraged because I told him no. I literally couldn't. Okay, I wanted to. T- I want to tell everybody yeah. yes, right? right? But I had to tell him no. Well, uh, three weeks later, he came up to me and he goes, "Hey, pastor, can I just mow your lawn for free this summer?" And I'm like, "Huh?" And I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, like can I just come over to your house and mow? Your- you you pay someone to mow your lawn, right? Do you think I could just come over and mow it for free, save you some money?" And I'm like. Maybe I'm like, would you do a good job? And he goes, no, just I promise you, I promise you. If you don't like it, you can come out and critique it, and I'll pay you. Just like yeah. he was like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, sh- he would show up to mow my lawn, and I'd see him out there sweating on the mm-hmm. hot day, and then I'd go out there and offer him a glass of water, and right. and over, you know we kind of hit it off, and then I'd see him the next week, and then mm-hmm. he'd you know I'd bring him I'd gave him refrigerator privileges. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd come in. He's like, hey, pastor, I was going to either do this ministry or that ministry. What do you think? And I'd say, oh, do this one. And then he'd walk up. Thanks, pastor. And then the next week he'd come in. And then by the end of the summer, that dude got more mentoring than half my staff. Yes. He tricked me into (laughs) mentoring him. That's awesome. And I, I realized I actually learned what I needed to do to get mentored. Wow. Find dynamic people mm-hmm. and serve them. Yeah. Take lift their burdens. And so just that's what young leaders need to do. Find people to serve, mm-hmm. lift their burdens. That guy got more of my time than my staff did. And wow. and ultimately you earn the right to to get that external call. Oh, man. That's so good. Wow. That's good. You have one more question, Michael? Uh yes. Okay. So um 
uh, you obviously are in a lot of books. We talked about those on the front. If there's, um, what's kind of your most recent good book? Like you're like, hey, yeah. this is the book I'm recommending to everybody. Oh right now. yeah, for sure. I my so my I would recommend my two comedy books. So okay. I wrote I write comedic books on spirituality because I just want people to laugh. You know, mm -hmm. most people. It's like I want people to be entertained, and then uh, provoked. Okay, so <laughs> with thoughts. Okay, mm -hmm. so broken escalators is on the ten myths of promotion and happiness. And mm. so what I did is I found all of the statistical predictors of happiness, and then I and then I bring it all this mm. psychological research, yeah. and then I bring it through the lens of scripture wow. with absurd storytelling. Yeah. So it's all just so I figure at least if people don't like the research, they'll at least like the, the crazy stories. Right. So broken escalators mm. is probably and it's actually great for young leaders who. Um, for them to understand exactly how God forms their mm -hmm. calling. Because it's all about what happens when you don't feel like you're getting the opportunities you want. Yeah. Like when you think you're gifted at fill in the blank, but it's not happening for mm -hmm. you. What? Yeah. Why does God purposely break our escalator? And what does he want us to learn in the meantime? And mm -hmm. so that's that. That's the first one. And then uh, Pharisectomy is is another book I wrote, Pharisectomy. Which I actually got for free at Catalyst one year. No. I love it. Yes, it's still on my bookshelf. For yeah, real? Pharisectomy. Oh my yes. gosh, yeah. Yes. So it's yeah. How to Remove Your Inner Pharisee and Other Religiously Transmitted Diseases. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I wrote it for young leaders who are frustrated. They're entering churches that feel old and dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And how do you be a healthy transformational agent without getting toxic? Yeah. And so for those of you who are maybe cynical about church and you're deconstructing church right now, uh, this is a book on how to reconstruct it in a life-giving way. Basically, how to, how to fall back in love, laugh your way back in love with the bride of Christ, warts and all. Mm. And so if you're a young leader out there and you're, you're kind of just in a frustrating leadership situation, it, it, it's really describing me taking over my first church yeah. and dealing with constant frustrating opinions yeah. about everything. Yeah. And so it, in some ways, it'll give you this endurance and love for mm -hmm. God's church. And at the end of the day, that's that, that's what God promotes because he loves yeah. his bride. Love yeah, so good. Peter, thank you so mm. much, man. This has been a powerful conversation. And, and, and what I love about you is... Uh, you reek with relational authenticity, and that <laughs> is you. so powerful. And and man, thank you for for the insights and the wisdom today. Mm, absolutely, thank you for yeah. having me. Love it, love it. Well, hey, if you want to stay up to date with Peter, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Haas One. Peter Haas One. And if you are loving what you're listening to on YouTube right now, go ahead and hit that like button, hit that follow button so you can get more leadership content right to your YouTube feed. You can also check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or on Twitter at Kent Ingle. And you can also get leadership content right to your inbox every single week. Sign up for the Framework Leadership Newsletter at KentIngle.com. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership today. Hey, take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>